0: Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. He's so worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. He's the one who took away the sins of the world. He's worthy. But sometimes in our walk, we don't understand the depths of how worthy he is. He's indescribable. He's so wonderful. One of the most revered prophets in all the scripture was walking in his prophetic call, writing, prophesying to kings and to nations for five chapters. He was good in what he was doing. But in chapter six, something happened to the prophet isaiah he got a fresh revelation of the god who he served and he began to cry out holy 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 he began to cry out he said woe is me for i'm undone he was already a prophet but he recognized in the presence of the magnificent glory of god that I'm undone. I'm a man who dwells among people of unclean lips. It's easy to see what other folk do. But when we're in his presence, he said, I also am a man of unclean lips. And then the angel took a comb from the fire and touched his mouth. God, touch my mouth right now. In the name of Jesus, you're holy. He's holy, it's not just a song. It's not just a song that we sing, it's something that we embrace. He's holy, he's a holy God. And when we're in his presence, we need to understand, we need to acknowledge that we're in the presence of a holy God, woe is me. God does not like you. You are holy, you alone are holy. And God, we come into your presence today. Lord, we ask, would you take your seat? Would you take your place in the midst of your people? God, we need you. We need you to be the mirror so that we can see who we are in your presence. God, you're holy. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. He took away the sins of the world. He took away the sins of the whole world. And the shame is that not everybody receives his finished work. But I'm so grateful to God. What about you? To be able to lift up our eyes and see a holy God. He said to the disciples, blessed are you. Blessed are your your eyes because they see. The prophets long to see what we see. We see the lamb who was slain, but we also saw the lion who got up out of the grave. We're living in a time of resurrection power. The power of God is moving. We need to position ourselves to flow in the power of God. And today, I pray that wherever you are, wherever you are in the world, wherever you are in your home, that you would sense the glory and the power and the presence of God. Because when... We sense his glory. It impacts our behavior. It impacts the way we think. It transforms us. We need to be transformed daily. We need our minds to be renewed every day. Yesterday's mind is not good enough for today because the evil of today is different. This is a day we've never seen and one we'll never see and the will of God, beloved, precious people of God, is that we be not ignorant of the devices of the wicked one. A holy God has called us out of darkness into light, and he wants us to walk in the light. When I was a little boy, there was about every Sunday morning song, and I remember clearly his name was Deacon Morrow. And he would get up and start singing, walk in the light, beautiful light. Come where the dew drops of mercy shine bright. Shine all around us by day and by night. Jesus, the light of the world. There's no light without Jesus. You need to walk in the light. The beautiful light. And this is how we would climb. Come on out home and have church with us. I love about that song is when he is present with you, he shines all around you. You can't walk into a room and his light is not there. You can't go in a building without somebody seeing there's something different about you. There's a glow about you. It's the glory of God. Why don't you walk in the light today? That beautiful light. Come where the dewdrops of mercy, there are dewdrops of mercy, and even his mercy shines bright. It shines all around us by day and by night. The light of God doesn't just shine by day, it shines by night. And what the songwriter was trying to tell us is that his light pierces the darkness. Every dark place in your life His light has come to invade it. Father, we thank you today for your presence that is already here. Thank you for receiving our worship. Thank you for being glorified in the midst of your people. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for being in that home. God, thank you for the precious tears. God, I say everybody who's sowing in tears shall reap in joy. We thank you today for the word that you have for us. Speak to us, God. Nobody can teach like you. Nobody can preach like you. You are our teacher. God, I pray that you would bring your servant into the secret place, that only what I hear in my hearing would proceed out of my mouth. God, speak to your people. Inspire your people. Lift somebody up. Somebody needs you, Lord. God, speak a word. A word of healing, a word of deliverance, a word of salvation, a word of power, a word of life. God, somebody is ready to give up, but God, may they not give out, because you have come today. You're a strong God, you're a great deliverer, you are a merciful God, and now God, sprinkle the dewdrops of mercy. Sprinkle them in every home, sprinkle them in every place that this word goes forth. Do it for your glory. Do it for your honor. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that we pray and we say, amen, amen. I can't see the chat, but if you say amen, I'll sense it in the spirit. Somebody say amen. None of that was planned, but there's something about giving ourselves away to the spirit of God. The first thing that we ought to seek whenever we come together is his presence. I love you very much. And because I love you, I want the presence of God to dwell among us. Presence, people, and purpose are very important to God. And I think sometimes we fall into the trap of putting programs and property ahead of His presence, His people, all people, and purpose. But I pray that we've learned something as God closed the doors On earth and open the windows in heaven that presence is what we seek his presence and to minister to the people that he loves and one of the things that God has made clear is that he's not willing that any should perish any and that the ministry of the gospel is both for the body of Christ to edify us, to build us up, to help us to endure and to make sure that we run this race with patience, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, while also having a heart for the lost, those who are blind, some of them who are good people, who don't know that they need a Savior. So the gospel is for me, it's for you, it's for everybody. And sometimes An enemy creeps in, he creeps into our individual lives and in our corporate life and tries to deceive us and say, you are right, but those people over there, they have a problem. And what breaks out is self-righteousness, it causes blindness spiritually, and we can't see him, because now we think that we are all right in ourselves. What am I talking about? I've come to encourage somebody today in the body of Christ and those who he's drawing unto himself. In the book of Hebrews, the third chapter, And before we go into that, I just want to say, we're still, God has commanded me to continue to press in on the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I want to lay a foundation first in Hebrews and show you something that God showed to me that will help the body of Christ so that we will not be ignorant of the devices of the enemy and we won't fall for deception. What has weakened our flesh? Well, partly it's because of the fall. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, it not only opened up sin, but they fell because of deception. And that same playbook is the playbook that the devil has used for all generations and all times. And he wants to deceive every one of us, especially when you're spiritual. The Bible says in Matthew 4 that when Jesus had fasted for 40 days. He was led into the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit and Satan came. Satan doesn't come for empty vessels. And so I think it's time for us to recognize that the devil is not just working in the world. He's not just after those who he already has. He's there in a web of deception. But he wants those like Adam and Eve who were committed to God to be deceived and to fall into his trap. Somebody say, I'm tired of being trapped. Hebrews 3 and 12 reads, Beware, brethren. Those first two words let us know who the audience is. Brethren, those who are in the faith, lest there be any, of you an evil heart of unbelief. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. You can only depart from God if you're in him. And this, the context of this scripture is the writer who historians grapple over who it was. It sounds like Paul to me, so I say Paul wrote Hebrews. But in any event, it's talking about the children of Israel and why they wandered for 40 years. Even though God had given them great deliverance, the presence of God was with them from the beginning. Paul goes back to Mesopotamia, when he brought Abraham and sanctified him, called him out. Even Abraham's father, Terah, was worshiping false and idle gods. But God called out a people through one man, Abraham. He said, leave this. The first act of sanctification. He sanctified him, brought him out, and then he gave him in his barrenness Isaac. And he gave to Isaac, Esau, and Jacob. And God gave to Esau the mountains of Seir. And he gave Jacob the 12 tribes. And then he gave them Joseph and Manasseh. And Joseph delivered the people through the hand of God for a season, but then for 430 years, they were in bondage. But God said, I've heard the cries of my people. I see your tears, and I've come down to deliver you. And with a great deliverance, he took them out of Egypt. And not many days after they're out of the land of Egypt, Pharaoh's army chases them. God opens up the Red Sea. He's done, he did all of that for them, and they still murmured. They still complained. They departed from the living God. He sent them manna and quails. Their shoes didn't wear out in 40 years. God was with them by cloud, pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And with all of that, they departed. See, he's talking about the people of God who've experienced the power of God, who've had deliverance, but who departed from him. And then there's more with Baal and all these things that happen throughout the history and the same is true in the church. The things that are written in the Old Testament is for our learning and for our admonition. And so this text is about the people of God and us being fortified and staying in him. Let's go a little deeper. Let's go to the next verse. But exhort one another daily while it is called today Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. But exhort one another every day. We ought to exhort one another. Every day we ought to encourage other, one another. While it's called today, do it now. Don't put it off till tomorrow because there's something at risk. I can be, you can be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. When Jesus asked Peter and James and John, but he called Peter by name, we'll look at that in a minute. Are you sleeping? Could you not pray with me for one hour? He said, You need to watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. It's important that we encourage one another. Every day. That's what discipleship is all about. That's what fellowship is all about. Those are two ships that you ought to get on discipleship and fellowship. You need to disciple somebody and somebody needs to disciple you. I don't care how mature you are. We all need somebody. And that's why Paul is telling them in order to avoid what happened to Israel who saw the power of God. God was with them always. But you need to be exhorted daily while it is called today. On my drive in today to the sanctuary. Got dropped a family member, a relative, in my spirit, and I said, let me check up on him. They just had a great loss in their life. Their hero died, his father. And I called him, and we were talking, and we got to a point in the conversation, he said, now I know why God told you to call me. He said, I haven't told anyone this, but I have really have started to fall away from God. I haven't gone to church, I don't pray, I don't want to live, I'm just, I just feel despondent. I, I have no energy. And I, we started to talk, and I reminded him of some things that we had together as a family that included the one who he was lamenting the loss. And we began to laugh, and I said, what's going to happen over time? You're going to feel depressed, you're going to feel down. You're going to feel zapped, but over time, you'll know that you're healed when you start to remember things and it causes you to smile. And so that's why I want us to, to have some laughter today through his laughter. He said, you have no idea how much you helped me. I got to leave now because I'm going to get in the shower and go to church. I need to get to my service just by doing what God, the spirit prompted me do, to do today. Call him now. I could have said, I got to get my spirit right for this message. You never put people ahead of ministry. Ministry is about people. So when God puts somebody in your heart, call them. Pick up the phone. FaceTime, do something to engage them so that daily we admonish one another. Too often in the body of Christ, people go for days, weeks, months, and they feel like they're abandoned. Nobody, does anybody care? There's a scripture that David wrote in Psalm where he says, no one cares for my soul. Look around me, on my left and my right, no one cares. How do people know? that we really love them and care if we don't admonish them daily. It's important for the body of Christ so that we can keep deceitfulness out. It's not just for accountability. Accountability is one part, but there's something that lifts up your head, that causes your spirit to rejoice, and all the things that are not acceptable to God will flee. I believe there's too much depression in the church. Depression is real. And there are some clinical things. But I have friends, some who are doctors, who are psychiatrists, some who are therapists. And what I've learned over the years in interacting with them is many of the principles that they use are biblical. And they use them and get paid professionally when the body of Christ, we have it as a gift. One of the most effective therapies, non-medicinal therapies for depression is talk therapy. It's just a therapist listening to you. And as they hear you, they speak into your situation. Do we listen to one another? That's what it means to exhort. I can't exhort you if I don't know the situation. All I knew is that God told me to call this morning. I knew the situation about the loss, but I didn't know the depth of his trouble. I haven't talked to him in a couple months. I'm his family. I'm also a minister of the gospel. I know about the loss. They actually asked me to preach the eulogy. But for COVID and it was out of state, I was unable to do that. But I went to the gravesite because he was buried in North Jersey. I was there at the gravesite, and I love them because they're my family. But how is it that months pass and I don't check in? If the spirit of God didn't prompt me, I wouldn't have done it today. We need to be more sensitive. We need to admonish one another. Find a partner. I know many of us have prayer partners, but there are some people outside of your circle that God wants you to reach out to. Listen daily so that you can hear his voice. Let's go to the next verse. I won't do this for every verse, I promise, or we'll never get to our primary text. Verse 14 says, For we have become partakers of Christ. Now, is there any question who he's talking to? He's talking to the ones who've become partakers of Jesus Christ. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. The beginning of our confidence. Do you remember how you felt when you first believed? Do you remember the zeal and the fire? 10 years later, 20 years later, do you still have that passion? Paul is saying we need to hold on to that same thing. It's important, there are certain people that when I'm around them, I feel better. There are people because they speak life. It's not a, uh, Bishop Jake said something, I thought, oh man, that's insightful. He said he spent most most of his time with people who needed him until God showed him you need to be around people who can help you. And here's what he said. He said, if you are constantly pouring into people, you're making deposits into people who need you. Now, it doesn't mean you don't neglect them, but you need more than that. You will end up bankrupt yourself. Because we need to receive. We need to give and we need to receive. We need to pour out and we need to be poured into. And part of the body of Christ, we function best when it works that way. And I'm so grateful to God. I have people that I've become so close to, and I don't even know them that long, but spiritually we're connected forever. That when things are going on in my life, they, they speak it before I speak to them. I get a message, 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm up praying for you, brother. I sense this. And it's like, oh my God, only God could have told them that. That's what God does in relationships when we make a commitment to encourage one another. We need somebody to walk alongside of us to encourage somebody, and somebody needs you to encourage them. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Let's go to the next verse. While it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. See that last word, rebellion? He's telling the church, don't make the mistake that God's people did. And he's saying, especially to us, you're a wild olive branch that's been grafted into the vine. If God did what he did with Israel in the wilderness, you're just grafted in, you're adopted. He loves you, but you all, he's a holy God. And God makes clear what's acceptable and what is not. And I'm not talking about the law. It's not do's and don'ts because it's not about what I do or what you do. It's about what Jesus did. And he died once for all. He took care of all of our stuff, but we still have to take care of one another. Here's the point I want to make about verse 15. And I've, I've read the scripture so many times, I've known it from my youth, but God showed me something that I had not seen. And the way this text has been used all my life in the church, all my life has been for altar calls or for people who are outside of the body. This is the text for sinners. But it's written for the body of Christ. How? I said, Lord, how did that happen? And God talked about deceitfulness is not just for you as an individual. The devil wants to deceive the whole church. He wants to deceive the whole world. And what is the deception? He wants us to be in a place where I'm all right. It's those other people. You need to focus on this. You need to do this. The message, everybody, most of us, most of us who are in the body, we want, we pray for, and we ought to. We pray for those who are lost. And that's the will of God. That's the great commission. We ought to do that. But not only that, we ought to be praying for the strengthening of the body. We also have needs in the body. That's why God sends a word to us. Also, because we need to be built up. We need to be encouraged. We need to stay in the will of God. And if I think that I'm all right, that it's the other person, what makes me any different from a Pharisee? Nothing. And I thought, Lord, how is it that over decades, our posture seems to be that this is for someone else when it's meant for us? And God said, that is the spirit of deception. I'm all right, and you have a problem. We would call that self-righteousness. That's not the intent. But the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so God wants us to look at what weakens the flesh, what causes the flesh to be weak. And the origin was in the garden, and that origin was based on deception. I talked earlier during worship about Isaiah, how he was a prophet and for five chapters, he was clean in his own mind until he was in the presence of God. He had a revelation of him. He then realized he was undone. God speaks to us in many ways if we pay attention. In chapter six, six is the number of man God was saying to the prophet, you're still a man. You're my prophet, you're my servant, but you're still a man. And without me, you can do nothing. You need to get closer to me. There's some stuff I need to clean up in you. You're a great prophet, but you need some stuff that has to be cleaned up because if what you're going to do is going to last, it's got to be found in me. And from that day... Isaiah was closer, it it happened after King Uzziah died, the thing that was blocking him, the thing that caused him to look horizontally versus looking up. Is there anything in your life that you're looking at at, that won't allow you to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith? We need to fix our eyes on him. We need to stop all these other things. We worship too many things. God is saying there's nobody who has enough charisma to take your eyes off me because there's none like me. Our God is mighty, but he's also jealous. God is a jealous lover. He loves us so much. He don't want our heart beating fast for anybody but for him. He said, I notice your heart skips a beat every time you watch this or every time you listen to that. I want you to only have eyes for me because I only have eyes for you. I want you to know how much I love you. I am the lover of your soul. Don't get caught up in anything else. God wants us to know that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Let's look a little closer at that. I want to show you something. And we're going to build on this over a couple of weeks. We're not going to get through all of this today. And we're going to stay here as long as the Lord says, speak this word to my people. Mark chapter 14, verse 17 reads, In the evening, he came with the twelve. Now, as they sat and ate, Jesus, I'm sorry, that's, that's not the right verse. I know that's what I said, but that's not what I want. I'm going into my notes. Then he came and found them sleeping. And said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak that's the that's the same verse that we looked at last week and i wanted to come back just to show you uh something a little bit a little bit deeper uh in that verse it's it's mark 14 but i think it's further down verse 32 Uh, If you can find it and put it up, uh, I'm sorry for that. But there's something I want you to see. Two things. One is he spoke to Peter, although James and John was there. And there was a purpose for that because if you are in the capacity of a leader, there are people who are watching you. You're marked. You are a mark. People are watching you. And you also have a level of accountability. That's why the Bible says, be not many masters. Because those who are masters, teachers of the gospel, will be beat with many stripes. What, What the Bible is saying is there's a greater level of accountability. Because if people are going to do right, they need to learn what is right. And, the only, and let every person be a liar, but let God's word be true. And that's why it's important to rightly divide the word of truth. I, I believe and I know that the word of God is an interpreter of itself. It's not about philosophy. It's not about, you know, how deep anyone is. You can know that the spirit of God has covered everything that we need that pertains to life and to godliness. And you can find every area, every situation in life, and its instruction in the Word of God. So in this garden, while they were together, he calls Peter when he finds them sleeping. Because what Peter says, they follow. What Peter does, they follow. And I want you to know that there are people, it, it may be your children, it may be your spouse, it may be your coworkers. Once you say you're a Christian, people look at you. And I never want to, and I'm sure you don't, want to do anything that caused the enemy of, enemies of God to mock him. We want to be a witness, faithful witnesses, and it's not just what we say, it's what we do. And so Jesus wanted them to stay awake, not for his sake, but for their sake, because he knew he was going to be leaving them. And he said, you need to watch and, watch and pray, because if not, you are at risk of entering into temptation. And as I said last week, there's no sin in being tempted, but entering into temptation causes you to act it out. That's a problem because now you're yielding your members to sin. And that's not the will of God. That's not acceptable to God. Let's go to verse, the next verse, 33. I want to go to the verse that says the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak could you put that on the screen there's a point that I want to make the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak because I want I want you to see something about the spirit and while that scripture is being searched out there is whenever in scripture there's a reference to the name of God, or the Spirit of God, is always uppercase. So if you see capital S in Spirit, you know it's talking about the Spirit of God. If you see a small s, lowercase s, it's talking about the Spirit in human beings. And so when Jesus says to them, the Spirit is willing, It's talking about our spirit, the human spirit, which within us has this tension with our flesh. Your spirit and my spirit wrestle against the flesh. That's what Paul meant when he said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. He says, so I see another law. In my mind, I obey the law of God, but in my flesh, I obey the law of sin. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God that through Jesus Christ. So all of us, as we walk in him, we have refuge. We have strength. We have a defense. We have have power. But Jesus was talking to them about fortifying the small s their spirit, because that's where the battle happens. It happens our flesh and our spirit, our mind and our imagination. The reason we need to be renewed in our mind is because the enemy attacks us there. And so Jesus's request for them to watch and pray with him on the surface looks like it was for, for him, but it was for them. Everything, here's the insight, everything that God asks of us, everything is for our good, is for our benefit, it is for us. God already is everlasting to everlasting. He began the beginning. He doesn't need anything, but what he wants for us is life. He wants life more abundantly. He wants it to be everlasting, not temporal. And that's why God doesn't want temporary things to interrupt his plan for our eternal life. And so he gives us his word as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And in in Mark 14 and 38, you see where it says the spirit is willing. It's spirit small s small s but the flesh is weak and so it is we we fortify our human spirit by encouraging one another by staying in his word but the next time we get to this we're going to talk about how we walk in the spirit we don't walk in our own spirit because we can't trust our spirit our spirit although it's willing is losing the battle because the flesh is weak. And we enter into temptation lest we pray all the time. That's why my loved one who I call today is sad, is despondent, and the first thing he stopped doing is praying because the enemy wants us not to pray. Then your flesh gets weaker. And not only that, your spirit, small s, gets weaker. Now that which fights your flesh is weak, so you have no defense. You're an open target. And over time, he even attacks us corporately. He makes us think that things that are for us, that are meant to build us up, it's not for you. So we don't receive the nourishment that God wants us to take in because we think it's for that poor soul over there. And God is saying, no, no, child, this is for you. This is manna I'm sending for you. Why do you keep rejecting the manna? The manna that comes from heaven is better than the bread that costs you money. Why do you buy bread that profits you nothing? Come to the waters and drink. Hold, come to the water. Everybody who's thirsty, come and drink. God has something for us that's better for us than whatever we can do for ourselves. And it's important that we encourage one another, that we are intentional about being witnesses. You don't witness just with your mouth. You witness with the way you live, the way you walk, and then the way you talk. Before the pandemic, in 2019, we had uh, an invitation to go to a church in southwest Philadelphia. Some of you who are watching went Uh, with us that day. We did our morning service here and then we went over to Southwest and uh, we had a glorious time in the Lord. A lot of people from New Covenant turned out it was wonderful. But before we went downstairs, I went up to the pastor's uh, suite and we were in the midst of a 10-day fast as a church and he had this spread laid out it was just me and him. And he had his uh, armor bearer there who was gracious and who was offering me things. And I said, I said to the pastor, we're in the middle of a fast. We're fasting for 10 days and we're not taking in food until sundown. It was still, the sun was shining and he understood. He said, I understand. And he said, his armor bearer said, well, why don't you take something home? I said, good. Let me pack something up, and I'll take it. Because I didn't want to offend them for their kindness. And so I packed it up. I left it there. If I would have eaten it, no one from New Covenant would have known. But it's not about that. It's about walking in integrity. And so then I went down. We had the word. He invited everybody down to the fellowship hall. Food smelling good, long lines. So I went down not to look over anybody's shoulder and say, remember, we are fasting. No, because some people for medical conditions can't do it. it. It wasn't about that, but I wanted them to see me in the presence of all that food, not eating. I don't care if everybody else in the room would have eaten. If John and, and, and James would have stayed asleep, but Peter would have stayed awake, Jesus would have said, well done. Well done. Because the likelihood is if Peter would have stayed awake, they also would have stayed awake. There's some responsibility that comes with being a teacher or being a leader in any sphere in life, if you name the name of Christ. That's why the Bible said, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And iniquity are those things that are late, that stay. Iniquity is like the difference between trouble and trauma. Trouble doesn't last. We sing about it. Trouble don't last always. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. But if you've had trauma in your life, you know trauma wants to move in. Trauma stays for a minute. And so it is. So it is with the things in terms of how we walk upright before God. And so I don't know who ate, I don't know who didn't, I just wanted to be an example. And When I got out and got in my car, I took the food and I took it with me. What is the point of communicating this? There are times when you've got to make a personal sacrifice so that those who are watching, in the days of the Church of Corinthians, who was the most spiritual church. They had all the gifts. They speak in tongues. They prophesy. They lay hands and people get hit. All that stuff. But they were carnal. They also got drunk. They also participated in harlotry and prostitution and all those things. And Paul would tell them, you have all this stuff. I don't care if you give your body to be burned. Faith, hope, and love is what abides, and the greatest of these are love. Why love? Why speak love to a carnal church? Because when you understand that God is love, and that everything he did for me and for you was born out of love, you're much more willing to submit yourself to a loving, loving God. That's why the world presents God in a way that isn't loving. You hear people who are apologist against the gospel say would a loving God allow children to starve? Would a loving God do this? And it has nothing to do with God and his love and everything to do with a fallen world. And he sent his son to redeem a falling world. And for those who are in him we have to stay in him because there's no other protection outside of him. And this point of watching and fortifying our spirit and praying is so important that Jesus said it another time. He said it to them in Mark 13, beginning at verse 32. Whenever something is repeated, the same thing, it's like saying verily, verily, or truly, truly. It's really important. Pay attention. Listen to what Jesus says and listen to the context as I bring this thing to a close. And we'll pick it up again the next time I stand before you. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray. For you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to one, I say to all. Watch. In this text, Jesus is talking about in time. He said it to them in Gethsemane because his time on earth was ending. And he said it to them before he got to Gethsemane so that they would know how to stay diligent and vigilant until he comes again. This word is for every generation of believers. The enemy of our soul wants to rock us to sleep, wants us to to begin to buy into that everything is acceptable, everything is all right, and have us focus on grace more than truth. But the scales of the gospel are balanced with grace and truth. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about what he did. But when I know the love of God, it constrains me to do good. The Bible says the love of God constrains us to do good because we thus judge. If Christ died for all, then all were dead. That includes me. That includes you. He's the giver of my life. So what am I to do for the giver of my life? I'm going to give him my life because he wants what's best. He knows what's best. That's all God wants for us, is what's best for us, what we were intended to do. He has a purpose for our lives. And the enemy wants to deceive us and disrupt that purpose. He wants you and I to be the kind of example that young people look at and say, you're not authentic. There's a bunch of hypocrites. And because you're not authentic, I don't want anything to do with that. I love God, I just don't like the church. That's a deception on all parts because it doesn't matter if I fall, you ought to stand. You ought to look to him because when you look to him and you know that you're loved and you receive his love, all the other stuff that matter. Then you get on one of the two ships, discipleship or fellowship. But you're on a ship without a sail because you're looking in the wrong direction. I don't want to be drifting like a ship without a sail. I want to be on the discipleship or fellowship. Fellowship with the people of God. And so he's telling them to watch, And to pray and then he gives responsibility to every one of us who believe on him, who named his name. He said, it is like the master who left and went into a far country and told them to watch and pray. And he left his house, the house of God, and gave authority to his servants. We're his servants who have the authority. What are you doing? with your authority. What are you doing? We have authority that comes from God, that comes from heaven, and it's to protect the precious ones, the ones in the body and the ones in the world. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and so that's why we don't judge that's why we don't look down because we too were dead and it's the God who saved our life that we adore, that we appreciate and so we pray for those who are the walking dead we don't condemn them, we don't rebuke them we love them with loving kindness God has drawn us and so I've got good news no matter where you are God has a word for you no matter where you are God wants to bring you closer I don't care if you've been walking with him for 50 years. He wants the 51st year to be better than the other 50. That's what Paul was talking about when he said, hold fast to what you felt in the beginning. How many of you can say your fire is just as hot as it was? I remember what it was like when, I, when he found me. I was about to say when I found him, he found me. When he found me, you couldn't shut my mouth. I was zealous. It's the kind of stuff that I might be ashamed to do today. But I'm glad he put it in some of your hearts to say I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God to everyone who believes. And it's that power that God wants to release. But he needs a people who are diligent, who are vigilant, who are focused, who know that we have authority and we're gonna be doorkeepers, watching, making certain that what the master has commanded, it happens. And as I get ready to close, I talk to you about the situation as I was driving in and calling my, my dear cousin, my first cousin. There are times when we are in a situation like the one David faced at Ziglag, where it feels like everything and everybody is against you. The men who had been his mighty men of valor, the men who were in distress and in debt, who were destitute, and David gave leadership to them and they became the mighty men of valor. They never lost a battle. But because Ziglag was raided and their children and their wives were taken and they didn't know if they were dead or alive, they blamed David. And they said, we ought to stone him. If we didn't go out to battle with him, we would have been here to protect our our loved ones, our little ones and our wives because they trusted in their strength. And David had nowhere to turn. Some of you are in a situation where it feels like you have nowhere to turn. In the middle of a global pandemic, it's hard to find help when everybody needs help, when everybody's feeling alone and isolated. It's better than it was, but it's not like it used to be. And, And like my dear family member, some of you don't have the energy To do what you used to do. You're so down. And and it feels like all things are against you. David, at Ziglag, made a decision. He began to call on God. And the Bible says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. I want to encourage somebody, beloved. It's important that we exhort one another each day. It's important that we have fellowship. It's important that we have discipleship. It's important that we have time with the Lord. But sometimes you've got to encourage yourself. Sometimes you've got to go to the Lord and pick yourself up so he can turn you around. So you can testify like David. He picked me up out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay. And he set my feet on a rock to stay. Would you sing it? Sometimes you need to encourage yourself. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.